Hi, welcome to the Stanford Graduate School of Business podcast. My name is Lily Claussen, and I'm going to be interviewing faculty here at Stanford about their research and the stories behind their research. When it comes to picking a restaurant or a travel experience or a chocolate bar, consumers really care about authenticity. It's become an indispensable selling point. But what makes something authentic? Glenn Carroll is a professor of organizational behavior here at Stanford, and he's spent the past decades studying authenticity as both a tangible attribute and also as a social construct. I sat down with Glenn recently, and he told me about how he got into researching authenticity. Many years ago, I was working on a model about how in certain industries that are increasing in scale and concentrating, there is a rise of small specialist producers. And my first work that I did on this was in the newspaper industry. Um, And uh, lots of people had talked about the concentration, but very few people had talked about the emergence of the specialty press. And the model I developed was the explanation for how the two could happen at the same time, which was not expected by many theories. Um, As I was publishing this paper, uh, some of the referees who reviewed it came back to me and said, well, that's really interesting and it explains a lot about newspapers, but what's the more general story and can you point to some other industries and situations or contexts where similar things may be going on? And I was much younger then and brash and, you know, was uh, willing to say things that probably now I think are not so wise. So I thought about it and I looked at my model and I looked at the conditions behind it And I said, well, you know, the same things that are going on in newspapers probably should be going on in the beer market. And this was the early 1980s. It was, uh, there was an emergence of the craft beer movement, but it was really just a handful of breweries around. And uh, what I did, which I wouldn't have the guts to do now, is in this article, I actually made a prediction that there would be a rise of the craft beer movement, and it wound up happening. And so, you know, I'm one for one, and I decided to stop at that point. Anyway, so uh, to your question, the the craft beer movement, uh, as we studied it and watched it develop, uh, did did display the same patterns that we saw in newspapers, and the model did a good job of accounting for it. But when you look closely at what was actually going on there and why consumers preferred microbrewed beer, it had, we think, very little to do with the taste or the characteristics of the beer, and much more to do with the perception that the beer was being brewed by some traditional set of methods that were somehow more authentic than what was going on in the big corporatized mass producers. Right. So you've talked about authenticity as a social construct. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So so uh, some people, when they think of authenticity, let's say in the context of art, um, you know, if you have a painting and someone tries to sell it to you and says it was painted by Picasso. Well, uh, it may not be easy to determine whether or not Picasso painted it, but ultimately you can answer that question. Somebody can answer that question objectively. Either Picasso painted it or he didn't. I mean, there is an objective answer at the end of the day. Uh, Many other things that we think about in terms of authenticity, like if you go to a restaurant that someone tells you is an authentic Sichuan Chinese restaurant, there is no objective answer to that question. It is a matter of social convention and interpretation. What is an authentic Sichuan restaurant? And that's very different than in the case of art and, and frauds and authenticity there. So I'd, I'd love to have you share some more insights into your research on restaurants and how um, 
violating a norm like say a, a health code um, might be okay or even rewarded um, because it somehow makes the restaurant seem more authentic. Sure. So let me let me start by talking about authenticity generally, and then I'll get to the to the stuff we did on restaurants. So um, when people think about what I call socially constructed authenticity, there's really two very different meanings that are often covered by that term. The first meaning is, like in the example I gave of the Sichuan restaurant, we're talking about does this organization or this person or this product or service, does it match some classification or category system that has a set of criteria that define membership in the category? So Sichuan restaurants have a set of characteristics that we typically agree on, and restaurants meet those or not, and if they do, we call them authentic because they do. Um, the other meaning of authenticity comes from uh, the human potential movement, and as a best example, we say something like, you know, do you think I'm an authentic person? And in this case, it's not about criteria for classification or categorization, but it's rather about, you know, do you think I'm sincere? Do you think I have made decisions and uh, interact with people and behave as though I've thought through things on my own and made my own moral choices rather than take a script or convention or norms that society's handed me? Now, when people talk about authentic restaurants, they use both meanings, and they often don't distinguish between them. So we can talk about an authentic Sichuan restaurant, or we can talk about a restaurant that has authentic food. Uh, they both are covered by the same term, but they're very different meanings. So in the studies we've done of, of, of you know, people's interpretations of what's authentic in a restaurant, we actually didn't distinguish up front between those two very different meanings. We looked to see what people said about the restaurant, and if they called it authentic for either reason, or maybe for even for some other reason, then we interpreted them as considering it, regarding it as authentic. And the first question we wanted to know was, you know, lots of people think that authenticity has value and that things that are regarded as authentic, you can charge a premium price for. They have higher perceived quality or higher perceived value. And so we actually collected a lot of data on online reviews and looked to see in the review, did they mention authenticity in their interpretation of the restaurant? And then we looked to see how they rated the restaurant in the review. And after controlling for lots of other kinds of variables that might affect the rating statistically, we found a strong positive association between interpretation of authenticity and the rating or the consumer value that they placed on that restaurant. Is it problematic when people sort of conflate the two different definitions of authenticity? Depends on the question you're asking. Uh, you know, in in the case of what, you know, we wanted to make sure that they really regarded it as authentic. And so we were willing to take both interpretations and see which one, you know, or whether both of them or anything that they regard as authentic would have value. And that winds up being the case. Uh, for other questions in research or for other problems, you might want to get a little more analytical and split that difference and compare them. And we've done that in some other studies. But the, the first basic thing just said, let's, let's put it in the eyes of the beholder. And if they call it authentic, we'll regard it as authentic. You also, I think, hinted at another finding that we had in these studies, which was about um, interpretations of, of authenticity and uh, whether people were willing to suspend the normal kinds of judgments that they might make on a restaurant. 
What we did in this case was we, we took a set of restaurants, a very large set of restaurants in Lo the Los Angeles metropolitan area, and we had data on their online reviews there, but we were also to get data on their rating or grade in the public health system, so the sanitation ratings that are done by the Los Angeles Department of Public Health. And uh, what we find in analyzing this data is that, of course, as I said earlier, when they regard it as authentic, they tend to rate the restaurant more highly. When they uh, see a high rating or a low rating, rather, a B or a C grade for health, they tend to give the restaurant a lower rating. So on the one hand, people want both authenticity and they want high sanitation quality. But we were especially interested in the question about whether or not especially for certain types of ethnic restaurants, were people willing to suspend judgment? And if they regarded the restaurant as authentic, would they still penalize the restaurant for a low health rating, or were they willing to suspend that? And that's what we found, that, that authenticity kind of provided a buffer or a protection against a low sanitation rating. And that you see often in ethnic restaurants where there's some traditional way of preparing food or storing food that bumps up against a scientific code that uh, is embedded in the sanitation ratings. So why is this a appeal for authenticity so strong? Uh, well, that's the $64 million question, I think. Um, and there's been speculation. I, I don't know, as a social scientist, I can ever actually give you a definitive answer about it. The speculations have to do with you know, something about uh, mass society and the need to uh, individuate ourselves or somehow make it more personal and that authenticity is a way of doing this. You know, I tend to think of this more as a philosophical question than a, than a social scientific question. You know, what I do, what I can do is say, you know, if you regard it as authentic, then I can say these sets of things often follow. But why there's an increasing attraction to authenticity and why people think it's more valuable and all that, I think is something that we, we can at best speculate about and maybe never really know for sure. Well, have people generally always been drawn to authenticity or is this something new or something that we've we're only recently seeing so i think it's been true for much of the 20th century and the current century but i also think it's increasing in its prevalence and in the domains in which you find it attractive if you go back to the early 20th century you would find for instance the the shaker movement in furniture which happened pretty early and then you find you know all kinds of other things like i talked about with beer and restaurants and like that emerged later we did word searches of newspapers for references to authenticity and those tend to go up pretty steadily through uh the 20th century up and they're still increasing now so for whatever reason you know it's been there a long time but it seems to be even more important now and you know I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I see it everywhere because I study it. But I think you see it in lots of personal consumption items these days, and, and you see more and more of them. There's one study uh, or one, one paper I know that goes back and uh, looks at the timing of this and tries to say that you know authenticity only becomes an issue once mass production enters a domain because all of a sudden you know the way things were done and the craft production that was there tends to kind of be going away and people get nostalgic about it or something and that you know once once authenticity is threatened is when it becomes a big issue right so today we have these big box stores and then we have these sort of precious bespoke farm to table type products now when you see the latter does it make you cringe when you see like a craft beer or a you know artisanal cheese or something 
does it make you cringe or does it bring out another feeling in you? Well, you know, I'm a victim of my social class as well. And like everybody, you know, who's, who's in the affluent upper middle class, you know, I tend to like these things too. And I, I often choose them in my own market choices. Uh, what studying them and the authenticity behind them has done is kind of debunk the myth behind them. So, so you know, I tend to uh, go for the ones that I think really, uh, are really character, really, really uh, have higher quality behind them, rather than the ones that might be perceived as having higher quality. And I think there's a lot of misinterpretation there that goes on. So, for instance, when I started studying craft beers, you know, a lot of my friends were really into these. It had the effect to me of going back, and I, you know, I, I drank a lot of Coors beer, and still do because it just it just demythologized all the stories that you hear around craft beer. Was that because you liked it better, or because you thought it was kind of like ironic or something? Well, I do like Coors beer, but but I guess I and and there are some microbrewed beers that are certainly very very high quality, and I know I I know I think I know a lot of those, and I like those. Don't get me wrong; they cost a little more. So, you know, maybe it's not always worth it, but it's I, I, maybe I'm contrarian, too. And but there's this sense of, of uh, you know, in a lot of the social science research on authenticity, where once people discover the myth, you know, there's a kind of gotcha or aha moment. Like this is not really what everybody thinks it is. It's more kind of ordinary than what we thought. And I think that's interesting. But but, you know, I guess it's it. it it debunks once you debunk the myth, you kind of wonder: Should I be paying for this extra in the way that a lot of people do and find and find value in? Do you think authenticity is elitist? Um, I, you know, yes and no. I mean, as I remarked earlier about who buys these things, I I think you know because the prices are often premium prices that that the people who care about it often. Uh, you know, are from the upper middle class and 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 uh, have money. They're not they're not people who often are really you know struggling financially. Uh, at the same time, you will meet a lot of people who you know fancy themselves as very sophisticated and uh, able to see through a lot of the things in modern society, and they don't have money. And, and they search long and hard to find something they regard as real. And it it, it grants them a kind of a, a status among other people to be able to, to kind of talk about the origins of products and services and explain everything behind it. They come away feeling like, you know, people have admired them because of their understanding of all this. And so, so this is, you know, the wine snob is the worst case of it, but the really informed wine drinker, you know, that somebody says, wow, I didn't know all that. That's really interesting. Those are very important differences that I should care more about. That that's really important. And that that's, you know, I guess it's elitist in some ways, but it's not offensively elitist in my mind. When I was in Hong Kong in 1996, you know, I used to spend some time talking to the microbrewers there. And, uh, you know, they were selling microbrewed beers to the expats from the U.S. and from Britain in the same way that microbrewed beers are sold in the U.S. It was a traditional kind of product made by traditional methods, and uh, it had some appeal of authenticity, and the, uh, people were somewhat nostalgic about it. What was interesting there was that the Chinese didn't want to have anything to do with microbrewed beers. They they saw them as inferior in quality and uh, and not very good, and they didn't know why people would pay extra for it. What they wanted was mass-produced beer that was made in a nice modern factory with the latest techniques. 
So this was kind of an interesting puzzle that we that we thought about a lot, and you know I came away from that thinking that the real difference there was that in China, you know, the country had developed so recently that many consumers, most consumers, had a memory of what craft production really was like. And craft production, you know, tended to be uneven, unreliable, sometimes unsafe. The uh, the craftsmen might actually be cagey and do all kinds of funny pricing things with you. And so, you know, they remembered all the things about craft production that in the West seem to be lost. And instead, we tend to romanticize craft production in a way that makes it much more appealing than the, than the nitty-gritty reality of it sometimes is. Great. And then the last thing I'll ask you is um, what what insights do you think that your research into authenticity might provide sort of your your average person trying to make their life, their personal life and their professional life better? Well, so, you know, if you're, you know, if you believe my claim that the appeal of authenticity is spreading and is occurring in more domains, I mean, I think just in terms of being a consumer in the marketplace, uh, understanding all the different strategies that the different uh, producers are using to get products to appeal to you makes you a more informed and educated consumer, and I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, I also think if you're working, you know, in a company that's involved in the delivery of services or personal consumption goods, that, you know, these kind of ideas lay out strategies that are worth knowing about, even if your firm isn't going to pursue them, some of your competitors will be. And so just an understanding of all the different ways in which people are behaving strategically in the markets is is important uh, in those domains. And what about as a leader? As a leader, well, I think it, you know, if you're leading one of those companies, uh, then I think it's important that you understand that you set the strategy yourself. I mean, I think that's important. And that you, as we talked earlier, be able to tell a story or explain the story behind the strategy, if it's a strategy of authenticity, why that's important, what the relevant indicators are, and basically take your people, your employees, and bring them along on this journey so that they can be proud of it and so that they can tell uh, the other employees and or their families and their consumers and potential consumers as well. Great. Thank you so much. 